This is KMTT. This is Ezra Bek, and this is the Shiur on Parshat HaShavua. This week's Parsha is Parshat Vayikra, a new cipher, a new book. Sometimes we ignore or miss the connection between Parshat Vayikra and Parshat Pekudai. Mepharshim, in this case, uh, pointed out, since Parshat Vayikra, Sefer Vayikra, begins uh, without a beginning. It's Vayikra El Moshe. doesn't say who. Vayikra Hashem, of course. El Moshe. And God called out to Moshe. It says, and he called out to Moshe. You almost, it almost demands that you read the, the last few psukim in, uh, in, in Pekudai, in Sefer Shemot. And, and the connection is obvious. Uh, they had finished Moshe had uh, put together the Mishkan. Kvod Hashem, the Anan, had descended into the Mishkan. And now, it's like, it's the next line. And, and God called Moshe and spoke to him, May Ohel Mo'ed Lemor, from the, from the Mishkan. From now on, God will be talking to Moshe Rabbeinu as he promised. In the end of Tetzavah, this will be the place where we will meet. And now he's meeting. The first one point out quite correctly that it's even more extreme than that because the Pasuk in the end of Shemot says that when the Shekhinah, when the presence of God inhabited, filled, the Ormoed, Moshe Rabbeinu could not go. Velo yachol Moshe. He wasn't able to enter the Ormoed where he'd been just seconds before doing, you know, turning the screws, putting the last things together, placing each kli, each utensil in the right place. He was inside it. But when the Shekhinah when the, 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 the presence of God filled the Omoed, Moshe Rabbeinu was, was ejected. He, he was, physically or psychologically, he was simply unable. And, and then it says, Vayikra Moshe, and he called on to Moshe, Chazal explained, he called Moshe Rabbeinu, told him to come, told him to enter, and then Moshe Rabbeinu was able to enter. So that's the connection, the very close connection between uh, Sefer Shemot, a book is finished, and the beginning of the next book, we say they're two Sfarim, they are two Sfarim, they're halachic, that's not just a, a, an, an arrangement which happens to be done. There is a halachic significance to the way the Torah is written. These are two different books, but nonetheless, the books are closely, very closely connected, and there's a continuation involved here. I want to speak about um, one particular aspect of that continuation or uh, resolving the tension between, between the two. Obviously, we all know, Pashat Vayikra and Pashat Tzav are uh, intimately uh, connected with telling us the details of the bringing of korbanot. All the different korbanot are defined in these two parashiyot, uh, and many of the laws, how they are brought, for quite correct reasons. Sefer Vayikra in general is called Torah Kohanim. It's, it's the laws having to do with the Mishkan, with the Kohanim, and the beginning of it is completely devoted to, uh, to korbanot. Um, when you learn, if you do learn about Kobanot, saying Yeshiva, when one's learning Gemara, so I think naturally one's uh, focus tends to be on the process which culminates in Zerikat Adam, in the sprinkling of the blood on the Mizbeach. And the reason for that is that that's the more, it takes up a lot more pages of Mesechet Zvachim. And it's also, for good reason, it's also the more interesting because it's ma'akev. It's the thing which if you don't do correctly, you have to bring another korban. It's mechaper. The korbanot are brought, among other things, uh, to atone, lechaper al b'nei Yisrael. And what's mechaper is the, the blood, the dam. 
the Ramban in Vayikra, when he gives the only place where he describes, he attempts to tell us what he thinks the idea, the meaning uh, of Kavanaut concentrates on, on, on that point, uh, at least in the first part, before uh, he gets to Derech Haimet. And and he explains that the person is sacrificing his blood, and it's like he sacrificed himself, and the blood is machapi because he was a sinner. That it's the natural concentration, and and most of Masechet Zvachim is about that. Different halachas having to do with uh, the process that begins with shechita. You slaughter the animal, you collect the blood from the shechita in a utensil, you bring it to the mizbech, and you sprinkle the blood on the mizbech. Those who haven't learned the Gemara, or are not at the moment thinking about the Gemara, but merely learning the Pesukim, and perhaps even those who just think about the word sacrifice, what it means in our heads, heavily influenced by the Pesukim, will see a different focus. Uh, I think if I stopped somebody in the street and said, what happens when you bring a sacrifice? He'll say, you slaughter the animal and you burn him on, 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 there's an altar there for a reason. The altar is where you burn you. You sacrifice you. The animal is consumed in a fire. If you look at the psukim, in the very, very beginning of Vayikra, the opening psukim, after that opening that says, Vayikra, Eila, Vayikra el Moshe, and God called to him and then said, what did he say to him? He said, Adam ki akiv mikem korban l'ashem rabimam rabakam and atzon takrivu et korban chem im ola kabano, tells us how to bring a korban ola. And so it says, you bring it, put your hands on his head, you do smicha, you slaughter it, you bring the blood and you throw the blood on the mizbeach, then you skin the animal, cut it up into pieces, place it on the fire that is on the mizbeach, you arrange it on the fire that's on the mizbeach, the penultimate verse, the last verse of this section, and of every other section that comes afterwards, because it explains the laws of the Allah and the laws of whether it's a, uh, uh, if it's a shlamim, and whether it's menatzon, or menabakar, whether it's uh, um, a, a cow or a sheep. And each time, that's the final pasuk. And it's not just the last pasuk. It has at least the beginning of something grander than merely the details. And the Kohen shall burn everything on the on the altar. Ola. This is what it is. It's an Ola. Ishei reach nichoach lashem. A a fire, a burning, which is to be a pleasant incense before before God. Those last few words are not really descriptive. They're they're motivational. They're 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 purposeful. What's going to happen now when you burn the Mizbech? It's going to be something which goes up to God on the fire. Reyach nichoach. Very difficult to translate. Reyach nichoach. Reyach nichoach l'ashem. A pleasant odor before God. The automatic assumption is that the main purpose of a sacrifice is to burn it. And that's the Reyach nichoach l'ashem. Elsewhere it says, "Vayarach Hashem et Reach Hanichoch." And God, so to speak, Kaviyachol smells the Reach Hanichoch, and that leads to certain results. And when when Noah made a sacrifice upon coming out of the altar, it doesn't say anything about throwing blood. 
he thanked God by taking an animal and giving him to God, and burning him up before God, and the animal goes up to God. So if there were well-known explanations, suggestions, as to what spilling the blood and sprinkling the blood of the animal has to be, means the blood is the life of the animal, it's a, and it's part of my life, it represents my life, it, 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 uh, it takes the place of my life, which is what the Ibn Ezra says in the Maban quotes, what, what is this thing about burning, burning the, the meat, those parts that are burnt? In the case of Allah, it's everything. And this goes, and, and this is a, goes up. I think the crucial word to understand here is the verb. What does it mean to lehaktir? I translated it a few seconds ago and I said, you should burn it. That's probably what most of us assume it means. That's what I always thought it meant. Lekitia means to, to burn something, on the, uh, to set it afire. Uh, interesting enough, that's what Unko says as well. Unko says he translates Lekitia as Vyasek. Hasek, Hasek means to burn. Why does Lekitia mean to burn? Everyone occurred to me to think about it. But, some 15 years ago, I was wandering in the library and I saw a book there. It just it was interesting. It was a book about Vayikra in English. So I started to read it and it was all in English including the Psukim. I have trouble understanding. I have to translate to myself back to get the original Hebrew Psukim so I know what it's talking about. But I didn't recognize the Pasuk because the author had just written without any apology, without any explanation. I translated this Pasuk and, and had written V'yiktir ha-kohen ta-kolem and the translation that appeared in that book was, and the Kohen shall turn into smoke everything on top of the altar. I didn't recognize the Pasuk, I didn't know what it was, I had to go look it up, and then I realized that Vehiktir was being translated as to turn into smoke. So I thought maybe it was the author's own translation, but then I checked, apparently all the, new, the newer English translations, uh, not King James, but the newer English translations, translate Vehiktir as to turn into smoke. And reflecting on it, I realized that literally that was correct. Ketoret, in the Beit HaMikdash there are two Ketorets. There's the Ketoret, and there's this, the burning of the flesh on the altar is called Behiktir, but the Ketoret is an incense. And, okay, it seems obvious that you burn incense in order to produce sweet-smelling smoke. So here you're burning meat. I don't know how sweet-smelling it is, I, my suspicions, but the Pasuk says that it is. You burn the meat so that it should be reyach nichoach l'ashem. And the word katar, kuf tetresh, of which the verb vehiktir comes, means smoke. That's why incense is called ketoret. Today in modern Hebrew, kata means steam. It's the same idea. It's what happens when you heat something and vapors arise. In Arabic, kata means smoke. Ketoret means 
incense, which means smoke. So the Iktir is to turn something into smoke. And realizing that, I mean, I realize it only because of this accidental reading of an English translation. Sometimes you need to translate something in order to realize that the way you've understood it since you were five years old might not be correct. But once when I thought about that, I realized that not only is that the, the etymological meaning of the uh, root, kuf tet resh, but also, of course, there's a difference in, in the input. Even when I use the word lektir, meaning to burn, I mean something very different than when I say lisrof. For instance, there are certain things which need to be burnt. Chometz on Pesach. It will be Pesach very soon. Chometz before Pesach is burnt. Nobody would say, you couldn't say this in any version of Hebrew, that before Pesach you should lehaktir the chametz. You would say, lisrof at the chametz. Notar, if a kobit is left over, beyond its uh, appointed time to be eaten, one day or, 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 or two days and one night. So whatever's left over, you can't eat anymore. And you have to burn it. And the Torah says, Yisaref Baish, Yisrof Baish, should be burnt, Lisrof. You would never say, Shemaktivim, Nota, this leftover meat. And the reason is obvious. Lisrof is to get rid of something. Lahaktir is is the same sort of import as lahakriv. It's to advance something through the process of burning. No question about it. You can't do ketorit without fire. But you're not burning it to get rid of it. You're burning it to offer it up. You maktirim lifnei Hashem. Maktirim lashem. You're advancing... It, it means like it means the same. It means in essence the same thing as lakriv. You 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 you're bringing it to God, and maktirim lo maktirim ketoret lishmi. Pasuk says in Yemiyahu. You don't burn something to somebody. You burn something to get rid of it. In short, burning is a negative word. Lishvof is a negative word, and laktir is a positive word. So what does in fact laktir mean? And now I think the answer is obvious. Laktir indeed means to turn meat into smoke. And the meaning of that in the context of Kobanot is to turn matter. I'm going to say it in Hebrew because it's, it's stronger. It's to turn Geshem, Gashmiut, into Ruchniut. It's to turn material into spiritual. The word spiritual in English, preserves, but not in spoken English so much, the original meaning of the word spirit, which is the translation of the word ruach. And that's why it's called ruchani. And ruach is the same verb as reach. The reach nichoach, a sweet smell. And it also means wind. Because all these things are the same thing. They're non-material in some sense. I know we learned in physics that air is composed of molecules which are not all that different from molecules or anything else. But in our experience, it's not gashmi. It's the closest you can get in ancient Hebrew to express a Greek concept called the spiritual meaning that which is not basar, basar, flesh. The difference between flesh and and and, and reach is, is they're opposites. 
in the conceptual framework of Chazal and of Tanakh. Meat is the most physical, meaning the most gashmi. A person is dam ubasar, basar vadam. You're only basar vadam. You're, that means you're, you're mortal, you're physical. And, and people, we have to eat meat because we have to indulge in our physical needs. And by burning it on the Mizbeach, it turns into something else. It turns into smoke, it turns into vapor, which arises and is now not eaten, but is smelled. It's a commonplace in the Mephoshim to say that you have a birchatanenin when you eat food, and you have a birchatanenin when you smell something. Because eating food is physical pleasure, and good smells are, you can say it's an ibu, it's a spiritual pleasure. Because veach is not physical, you can't touch it, you can't hold it in your hands. And so the meaning of ktoret ha'ivarim, ha'ktarat ha'ivarim, ha'alat ha'ivarim, which in the Beit HaMikdash was done all night, that was left on the altar to burn slowly all night long. What the Pasuk is explaining is that's a process of turning the physical into the spiritual. And now in context, we understand how this Pasha is so intimately connected to the last Pasha of Pekudeh. Sefer Shemot, the end of Sefer Shemot, the last four Pesukim of Pasha Pekudeh are the great triumph of the of, of, of the endeavors of the Jewish people together with God. They have built a Mishkan and God's presence come down into the Mishkan. They were in Hasinai. After Hasinai, they built a permanent abode for God to be there. Vasuli Mikdash, Veshachanti Betocham. And it was successful. How did it was successful? Because there was Shechina, because God's presence, the Anan, the cloud that represents God's presence, descended into the Olamoid. So the Jews by their efforts, have actually brought God into the world, so to speak. But the Pasha points out that that's a very complicated success, very ambivalent about such a success. Because when God came down into the world, the world had to retreat. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't even be where he was before. He wasn't actually meeting God. There's a contradiction, an inherent contradiction in the idea of bringing God into the world. If God comes into the world, the world has to retreat because God is of essence not of the world. But so much infinitely greater that the two, the world and God, can't be in the same place. So when God enters the Mishkan, everybody retreats. Moshe Rabbeinu, who had done the work, he was the one who put it together, had to back out. So where's the success? When you read the end of Pekuda, you, you, the, our hearts soar. Moshe Rabbeinu puts it all together, piece after piece after piece, and then the Anan settles into, in, in, into the Mishkan. Nothing bad happens. We're not talking about what happens in Pashat Shemini. Nothing bad happens. But, but it's a bittersweet victory. Moshe Rabbeinu is, is expelled. Again, I don't know how exactly that took place. But, but he couldn't come in. He knew he couldn't come in. He wasn't able. He wasn't afraid to come in. He couldn't. 
There was no place for God and Moshe Rabbeinu in the same, so to speak, in the same place. So Vayuka begins with God calling Moshe Rabbeinu and telling him to come, and he comes. So, so God solves the problem. But the very first things he tells him is also the meaning of how to solve the problem. It's not that it's all the same thing. It's not that the physical world, the spiritual world, God, this world, it's all the same thing. Everything is God. Or everything is the world. God is not part of the world and the world is not part of God. Judaism is not some Eastern philosophy which says that, ah, the world is just God. And it's not some form of idolatry that says uh, the gods are also part of the world. They're just a little more powerful or they're spirits roaming through the, through the forests. No, there's an infinite gulf between man and God. And there's a contradiction between the presence of man and the presence of God. God had told Moshe Rabbeinu just two weeks ago. You shall not see me and live. You cannot see me and live. No man can see me and live. So the process of coming to the... But, but the Mishkan is the combination. The Mishkan is the place where they meet. It's Oel Mo'ed. It's the place of meeting where I will meet with you there. And the answer is that Avodat HaMikdash, which we have such difficulty understanding, not because we can't read or understand the things, but those things you don't experience yourself, you really don't understand them well. So I'm straining to understand the importance of Korbanot. We've, got, we've gotten used to not having it. All sorts of debates, whether there'll be a Bodhata Korbanot in the future, I think they're based on a misconception. We don't really understand what we're talking about. You don't know what you're missing. So here I want to point out something, I don't know how it works, but something which is totally missing in our experience today. Avodat Beit HaMikdash allows you to turn the physical into the spiritual. And that is a purpose, I would say a main purpose, one of the most important purposes of the entire Avodah, of bringing sacrifices. It's to take that which represents flesh, animal flesh, meat, sink your teeth into and you eat because you have physical needs, and you turn that into something which at least represents. doesn't interest me what the modern physical explanation of smoke is. It represents the spiritual, which goes up, and it connects man to God. We don't merge man and God. We don't turn God into man, or man into God, as certain other religions attempt to do. But man can make a bridge between himself and God. And it's not surprising that Chazal state that prosperity, the, the, um, the flowering of our crops, the growing, physical things growing in this world is parallel to Akavad Korbanot. So today we, are, we don't have Korbanot and we still have a physical world. But Chazal say, you know, you can't imagine what the taste was like. The fruits don't taste. They're not as sweet as they were. From the day the Mikdash was destroyed, fruits are no longer sweet. And in general, there's a general rule that says, Korban Ha'olah, the daily sacrifice of Olah, that is the 
pathway for which prosperity descends from heaven. In other words, if we can turn physical into spiritual, then spiritual can be turned into the physical. But you have to make that road. The Korban makes the road in one direction, and then it becomes the vehicle for going in the other direction. So the very first parasha of Ayikra is not just a continuation of Pekudai, it's the answer to the contradiction of Pekudai. The basic religious question of any religious sensibility is how does man meet God? How can we have a relationship with God? How can a human being, finite, weak, physical, have a relationship with the infinite, all-powerful, transcendent God? And so the answer that the Torah first gives the answer to which we don't actually partake of anymore is Vasuli Mikdash Vashachanti Betocham. You will make a Mikdash, and in that Mikdash, you, not me, you, the Jewish people, will be creating a pathway. Not, not just to see from afar. And not to say they're the same thing, but one can be turned into the other. Smoke is meat. And hence also, smoke can become meat, just as meat can become smoke. That is what the Mikdash is. And therefore the Torah presents in two separate parashiyot, maybe even two separate sfarim, so that we'll first understand them individually. On the one hand, the total contradiction. God is in the Mishkan, you can't be there. Experience that when you read the end of Pekudeh. And now read in Vayikra how in the most natural way in the world, no one's even debating it. Bring a carbon. Just go. There's no problem. Just walk up to where you have to go. Bring your carbon, Slaughter it. Sprinkle the blood. And burn it. Two sides of the same question. Both are true. And the reason is because you have the ability laktir HaKohen et HaKol HaMizbecha Everything you brought, yourself and your animal, can be muktar, can be turned into smoke on the Mizbeach, and that will be a fiery sacrifice. L'reyach nichowach l'ashem. That goes all the way up to Hashem, as a reyach, as a ruach, as a spiritual entity, from the Mizbeach up to God. And that is where God and man meet. Simple comment. We don't have that. When Chazal speak about that tefillah is parallel to korbanot, they're not talking about this. this where in tefillah could this be expressed? They're talking about avodas Hashem. You should serve God. You serve God through korbanot. There's another way to serve God. And therefore many people, I don't think this is true, but many people can imagine, that, okay, so maybe it's just as good. Maybe it's even better. Avodah Balev, service of my heart, is, is as good as service of my, of my hands, service of my sacrifices. To sprinkle the blood on the Mizbeach, Ibn Ezra says, a person is saying, my life is yours. You can say that without speaking the blood. So you can imagine, I don't think this is true, but you can imagine that it's equivalent. 
And we daven Shmon that's the same as Koban Tamit, to some extent. But this aspect, actually bridging the unbridgeable, turning the physical into the spiritual, there's no parallel when the, when, when, when the Mishkan doesn't exist. It's forbidden. Is that just you don't do it? There is no way to bring a korban if you don't bring it correctly in the right place, the right time, with the right uh, utensils and the kohanim. It's forbidden to sacrifice in your backyard. And tefillah doesn't replace that. So in fact, that's the meaning of shechina begaluta, that the shechina is not in the world. The bridge is missing. There might be somewhat similar things, but not, nothing that can actually replace the bridge. No Beit HaMikdash, no Avodat Beit HaMikdash, no smoke on the altar. And remember, the smoke on the altar is Eish Tamid Tukad Al HaMizbeach, beginning of Pasha Tzav, next week's Pasha. The fire on the Mizbeach is Tamid. It's the permanent connection of the world to God and God to the world. It doesn't exist today. And we're missing it. We don't even know what we're missing because we've gotten so used to in 2,000 years of living without it. And that's what I would have you reflect on. Not how do we get around the problem. We're just realizing that the contradiction remains. God is God and man is man. And yes, you can reach out to God, you can talk to God. Perhaps you could even experience something. I don't know exactly what. But the world and God are not connected the way they should be. Because the fire is not burning on the Mizbech on a permanent basis. And that yearning, that's not talking about the sprinkling of the blood. That bracha which you say every day is the Isha Yisrael. Isha means the burnt offerings, the burning of Yisrael. Utfilatam. Not just tamid. Just tefillah. When we daven, we offer our tefillah to God. It's not the same as Isha Yisrael the burnt offerings of Israel. And we pray daily that God should restore God should restore the burnt offerings, the burning of flesh, turning it into smoke, turning Gashmis into Ruchnis. Daily, three times a day, we ask God to restore that because we have, we should have an enormous yearning for something which is so missing and so important and so crucial to the proper understanding of God in the world and the world relating the world relating to God. Shabbat Shalom Khultov.